Well, it's good to have each and every one of you back with us. We've been in the book of Acts studying the birth of the Christian church. There is uh, the great time to understand the church and its birth and its inception at Pentecost. Last week we left them where the Holy Spirit that had been promised by Jesus to the disciples came down on the 120 disciples that were gathered there and they began to speak the testimony and the word of God in languages that were understood by all the different cultures and languages that were present for that feast at Pentecost. And the Bible says that in verse 14 of chapter 2, Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. And this is the same Peter that had denied Jesus three times earlier during the trial of of Jesus prior to his crucifixion. We see an emboldened Peter because he knew that Jesus was alive. Jesus had spent time with the disciples. And Peter began to talk about how in the days uh, of the prophet Joel, Joel prophesied that, that in those last days, basically, that the Spirit would be poured out upon mankind. He says... And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You see, the age of the Spirit of God began with proclamation and will one day end with tribulation. We're 2,000 years closer to that event occurring than Peter addressed at that particular time. But the point that, that Peter makes, verse says that whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved saved. So during this period of of spiritual fervor, that whoever, that means you, that means me, that means anyone on the face of this earth who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so in verse 21, when when he mentions that particular aspect of the reason why the Holy Spirit came into this earth, It was for that purpose. The church's foundation is found on three principles, and I want to leave them with you this morning. First of all, on Jesus' life, verse 22 through 24, Peter said, Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over over to you. This man. Jesus was a man. Peter wants to make sure they understand that all of the rumors and, and things that they had heard about Jesus, all of the stories about Jesus, Jesus wasn't a ghost. He wasn't simply a spirit. He wasn't somebody that, that was a vision that was here today and gone yes, uh, tomorrow, he was a guy that, that was born a uh, human, a man, a young child in Bethlehem. We see the record of it. We've heard the testimony. He was raised in Nazareth by Joseph of Nazareth. And his dad was a carpenter, which meant he was trained at the, at the elbow of his dad. There he was in that village. When he was 30 years old, he was publicly 
acknowledged as the Messiah, the only begotten Son of God, and for some three-plus years began to do his ministry. In that three-plus years, people got a chance to see him, to touch him. They knew that if he, if he was cut, he bled. If he was hurt emotionally, it probably left scars, emotional. That he, the Bible says, was tempted at every point as we are, yet knew no sin. And this same Jesus, this man that they came to know, was fully man and fully God. Then he says, you have heard of his miracles, wonders, and signs. Jesus performed many miracles, wonders, and signs. Jesus was the one that could heal the blind man to restore his sight. Jesus was the one that could heal the man with withered hands or or cause the lame to walk or cause the deaf to hear or the speechless to speak. Jesus was the one that could raise people back to life. Jesus could heal. Jesus could perform miracles. He was the one that had enough food left over uh, to feed 5,000 people on that miraculous day. He could walk on water. He could still the storms. They have seen this. They have been testifying to this particular point time and time and time again. Peter is saying he was a historic event. He wasn't just a fable. He is a fact. He wasn't just something that that people have written about as they have in in other pantheon of gods that uh, may have been in their vision or in their imagination. Jesus was a reality. And he is testifying if Jesus wasn't a reality and if his life, death, and resurrection wasn't a reality, you would not see Peter, the man who denied him those three times, give this kind of testimony. So the church's foundation is first and foremost founded upon the historic fact of Jesus Christ. Secondly, it's founded upon his death. Verse 23, Peter continues by saying, This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. I want you to understand that God's purpose and foreknowledge. You see, some people believe that God is like a great puppet master, that we have really no will whatsoever to obey or to disobey him. He's the one that is pulling the strings. He's the one that is out there. Now, God's foreknowledge from the very beginning of creation, he knew that this plan of salvation was going to come to realization. He knew how it was going to come. The people who chose to disobey God, to reject, refute Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God, uh, chose to do that through their own volition, their own freedom of choice, their own willpower. Now, God takes that freedom of choice of theirs, and he uses it because even though they rejected Jesus, they had no idea of what God's ultimate purpose was going to be. So he had foreknowledge. He had foreknowledge. And you and I understand this God who is the creator of all the universe is that particular knowledge of all that we do, all that we say in that foreknowledge, he understands. 
But does he pull our strings? No, we have that freedom of choice. Adam and Eve had the freedom of choice to reject Satan's wiles. They could have done so. Jesus, therefore, became the man that Adam was intended to be. So he says he gave him up for death. He handed him over and with the help of wicked men put him to death by nailing him to the cross. You see, the only way to ultimately deal with evil is through death. The only way we deal with our sin is to die to self and live to Christ. The only way that it can happen for you and me is to allow ourselves to be born a second time, to be born again. The, the old carnal, natural self without God is gone. It's over. It's terminated. We, through Christ Jesus, have been born again. And so God gave his one and only son on that Passover observance to be the person who gave himself for you, for me. He became the Passover lamb. That death was God's uh, way of destroying the evil of Satan, his adversary, forever. One day, Satan and the keys of death will be thrown into the lake of fire, and that death and Satan's influence over mankind will be eternally ended. Well, the cross was no accident. It was not an emergency plan used by God when all else failed. It wasn't God's plan B at all. It was a plan that had been given to to us from the beginning of time. God knew this would happen because God created us and he knows our inclinations. He knows our hearts. He knows who we are and what we're all about. Death. We raised, we put him to death by nailing him to the cross. What a terrible thing that was. What an agony that Jesus experienced. And we've all talked about that in our uh, Easter experiences. Death. But thirdly, I want you to see, there was that resurrection. The Bible continues by saying, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Then he quotes David in Psalm 16. I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Now, as much as they revered King David and as much as they knew that, that it would be someone in David's lineage who would assume the throne of David one day, the kingdom of God. Peter is saying there in Psalm 16 that this is not written about David. David prophesied it about the Messiah. Because you see, he says, because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. And Peter is saying, in David's tomb is David's bones. He has seen decay. He is not sitting at the right hand of the Father. That prophecy of David in Psalm 16 was reserved for the Messiah. That was Jesus because his tomb is empty. 
His grave has been vacated. He is not there. David wasn't speaking about himself. David was saying that the kind of life that Jesus lived guaranteed that death would have no power whatsoever over him. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. And Peter continues by saying, Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried. And his tomb is here to this day. In- inspected, investigated, his bones were there at the time when Peter preached this message. But he was a prophet, he continues, and knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was Ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses to the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and that poured out on what you now see and hear. You see, Jesus told the disciples, that it is necessary or expedient for you that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Comforter, that is the Holy Spirit, will not come unto you. But if I go away, I will send him unto you, that he may be with you and shall be in you. Well, this is what Peter is saying here, is that it was a condition of Jesus' departure from planet earth, his ascension into heaven, for the Holy Spirit to come upon his church. And Peter is saying, that's what you're seeing now. This same Holy Spirit that had been promised came at Pentecost, these 50 days later than the crucifixion. And so here the Holy Spirit is the one that's empowering all 120 of us to speak testimony and give word to the truth of Jesus Christ in a language that you understand from all across the Mediterranean region, we're speaking a language that you comprehend. And so Peter is saying the Holy Spirit is an indication of this fact. Now we're into an age where the Holy Spirit is not just given and received and rescinded by God, not a situation where God looks at a prophet of his, sends the Spirit into his life, He prophesies the Spirit is withdrawn. For in this new church age that we're in, these 2,000 years since Jesus ascended into heaven and since Pentecost, here we are at a time when the Holy Spirit has been given to each and every one of us who have trusted in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We have such great power from, from God our Father that most of us, really have a hard time understanding, much less utilizing. The Holy Spirit is there in us to to teach us, to to admonish us, to exhort us, to teach us into God's way, to intercede on our behalf with the Father through prayer. He's our comforter. He's our paraclete. He's the one that walks with us on life's pathway. We're never alone. We always, as believers in Jesus Christ, have the Holy Spirit with us because he not only resides with us, he is in us. And that's the condition of Jesus' ascension into heaven. That was his promise. And this is what Peter is saying. You see, we are all witnesses that he lives. In verse 32, 
Peter says that just that, that he was abandoned to the grave. God had raised, he was not abandoned to the grave. God has raised this Jesus to life. We are all witnesses of the fact. The Apostle Paul met him on the road to Damascus. And when Apostle Paul met him, he kept referring to himself as an apostle born out of due time. I, I really wasn't around to see Jesus. I didn't pay any attention to that because Jesus appeared to those that, that followed him during that 40 days after the crucifixion. But Paul says, because I'm like an apostle born out of due time, I have seen the resurrected Jesus. He's appeared to me. Now, we have seen his works. Some of us have seen him through visions. Some of us have seen him at times that uh, he appears. But for all of us, we have absolutely can testify to his resurrected power in our lives, in the salvation of our own individual souls, in the miraculous things that we see that science and medicine cannot explain except that the hand of God intervened. We have seen the results of, of God everywhere in this planet earth for those of us that have trusted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. He says we have been witnesses of this. We've seen it. We have can speak to you about these things. And then these 120 disciples that were gathered together, in a, in a, including Peter, could say to them, you know, we handled him. We touched, touched him. And John would say in 1 John, that which we have seen and heard, we have handled. We know. We've touched him. He's been there. We can say without any question whatsoever, without any reservation, that Jesus is resurrected. And the resurrected Jesus we experienced for that 40, during that 40-day period. Now, let me just say this to you. You've seen the disciples. Only one disciple that we know of, John, was at the cross during the crucifixion. They all scattered. They were all timid and and scared because their leader had been crucified and buried and they were behind locked doors when Jesus appeared to them showing himself alive do you think these men would have any doubt whatsoever as each and every one of them walked on to his own martyrdom somewhere down the line if 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 this was a ruse or or if this was a hoax some one of them would have cracked but none of them did. Peter, the one who denied Jesus, was crucified himself, head downward. And yet, here we have this situation. Now, Major Ian Thomas said it this way. He had to be what he was in order to do what he did. He had to do what he did in order that we might have what he is. And we must must have what he is in order to be what he was. Well, that's Christianity. That's being a disciple of Christ. That's what it's all about. But Peter continues on as we come down in the end of his message. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has 
poured out what you now see and hear. We are evidence of that fact, Peter says. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And who is his Lord? Jesus Christ. Prophesying that in the 110th Psalm. But look at verse 36. Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. You see, Lord means He is sovereign. He is Lord over all. Everything in our lives, every aspect of our lives, He has dominion over. Our thoughts, our attitudes, our behavior, our actions, everything. Everything that we think we own is His. He is Lord over that as well. Our time schedules, everything about us, our health, our physical life, everything, our relationships. He is Lord over those things. And we honor Him that way. For if He is not Lord of all, He is not Lord at all. Because to be Lord means that you are fully sovereign, completely in dominion over everything. And He is Christ. He is the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Promised One, the Only Begotten Son of God. He is that. So you and I have that option of of recognizing Him just that way. For David did not ascend into heaven. Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Have you... Honor Him as your Lord. Everybody wants a Savior. That's an easy thing. That's a no-brainer. But have you honestly honored Him as Lord of your life to be in complete control and dominion over every aspect of your life? Everything that you say, everything that you do, everything that you are is Jesus Lord and Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the promised one. He came nearly 2,000 years ago. Have you embraced him as the Messiah? Oh, I pray some of my Jewish brothers and sisters would see Jesus as their Messiah because when he becomes their Messiah, he becomes their Lord. And when he becomes their Lord, their lives take on such a richer, fuller dimension. For Jesus said, I'm come that you might have life and might have it more abundantly. I'm here to